Hi, everybody. It's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome or welcome back to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Most of us, when we are reading a book, skip the acknowledgments page, right? I mean, you get to that, and it's like, I don't, I don't know these people. I'm never going to meet these people. It's really long and dense, and so I'm not, I'm not interested in reading that. And, and I get that. I mean, I, I do that as well. You, you should be careful, though, because every now and then, if you skip the acknowledgments page, you might be missing something fun like this. Uh, to my wife, Margaret, my children, Ella Rose, Daniel Adam, without whom this book would have been completed two years earlier. So, you know, sometimes you miss things like that. Today, we are coming to a list in Romans that kind of looks like an acknowledgement list. It looks like something that you would skip over. And so, no hands, but probably many of you, if you have read through Romans before, I'm thinking you probably kind of skim that list. I don't know most of these people, and what's the point? Why, why is this here? Some of you probably do that with genealogies. You know, okay, no judgment, but I, I understand. I, I get it. Guess what? We're not going to skip the list today, okay? So there are some nuggets in here. There are some important observations, one of which I hope will be very encouraging to all of us because all of us find ourselves at times on lists like this that most people just skim over. You need to know that there's someone who never skims over your name. We're gonna see that this morning in Romans chapter 16. If you would turn there with me, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one on a seat close to you in Romans 16, it's on page 1052. I can't believe that next week we are gonna land the plane in Romans. And so I, I have to tell you that as I've studied these last few weeks, like I, I get a little misty as I think about that because I'm like, man, this has been such a journey and I have learned so much. Some of you are crying with joy because you're like ready to move on to something else. But, but uh, this, hopefully, hopefully not. Um, Romans, a massive, massive letter here. The first 11 chapters are about our beliefs. What What do we think about God? What do we think about ourselves? So it's about our beliefs. Then we shift to behaviors in chapter 12 through 15. And as we come to the very end of Romans, it starts to get very personal. It gets kind of autobiographical for for Paul. He's talked about his desire to visit Rome because he has never been there. He's He's never seen most of these people in person. And so he ends almost at the end here with a list of, of greetings. And so here's the plan of what we're gonna do this morning. Here's, here's where we're going in the time that we have left. I'm gonna read through the whole list, okay? And I want you to keep in mind that as we read those names, every one of those is a real person with hopes, fears, dreams, just like, like you and me. So we're gonna read through the whole list, and then I'm gonna make some general observations about the list. Then we'll, we'll zoom in on just a few individuals, and then we wanna draw a conclusion, so what? 
Why, why is this list even here, and why are we spending time on it? So we're gonna start by reading the whole thing. Some of you will recognize a few of these names, and I did practice how to pronounce these names, but I have learned that the, the secret is you just sound like you know what you're doing when you read them. So whether I'm pronouncing them correctly or not, no guarantees. All right, so chapter 16, verse one. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epanetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ and my fellow Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. All right, just a little side note, if you're looking for baby names, there, there you go, you know, just check that out. All right, so a few general observations. Um, this closing list is the longest personal list of all of Paul's letters put together. And that kind of makes sense because Romans is the longest letter that Paul has written. And I said this back at the beginning, but I'll, I'll say it again just for sake of, of uh, recall. Um, the, the average private letter written in the ancient world would have been about 90 words. The average literary letter would have been about 200 words. Romans is over 7,000 words. Okay, so Paul's just, he's a little verbose sometimes. His average letter is about 1,300 words, so compare that to the average of 20, 200. Um, it also makes sense that this would be a longer list because Paul has never been to Rome. And so he's seeking with this list to make a personal connection, as personal as possible with these people that he hasn't met. Imagine yourself sitting in a room and listening to this letter being read for the very first time. And he comes to the end and he starts naming names. And you're sitting there thinking, is he going to say me? And I'm listening for my name. He's making this as personal as, as he can. So, longest list. There are most likely, scholars think, five churches mentioned in this list. So, so remember that in Paul's day, there's no church buildings. There's, there's no place where 
large gatherings can happen like this. So there were house churches. There were people who would open their, their homes. And so I'll point out to you the five that, that seem to be here. The first is really obvious in verse five. It says, greet the church in their house. It's talking about Prisca and Aquila. We'll come back to them in a few minutes. Greet the church in their house. So that one's really clear. In verse 10, he says, greet Apelles, who's approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. And so scholars think that's probably not just his immediate blood family. That's probably an extended family, extended spiritual family that they're talking about there. Similarly, in verse 11, greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. And then in verse 14, he, he lists all of these names together, lists Asyncritus, I mean, sorry, greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. It kind of sounds like a group that he's kind of identifying and calling out. And then similarly in verse 15, greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. So it kind of sounds like he's, he's identifying these five pockets of people who who may have found a place to come all together to listen to this letter being read for the first time, or maybe it's just getting circulated to each of those, those house groups. N.T. Wright, who is a New Testament scholar and also a historian, he, he says, if you think about those five little pockets of people and you think that probably most of them couldn't get any larger than 20, like that would be pushing it to fit in a house, you know, and just practically speaking. So, so we're talking about a maximum of 100 people. And, and that's just staggering to me. It's probably not even that many. That's staggering to me when we think about this monumental love letter, which is arguably the most influential document ever written in, in history. It's, it's, it's had an impact on cultures in a way that we have a hard time appreciating because we don't know what the cultures were like prior to the writing of this document. But we can talk about the influence on democracy and all, all those sort of things just around the world that had been impacted by this letter. So the fact that it first went to a pretty small group of people is staggering to me. And so what, what that really makes me think of is, is don't devalue, devalue the bigness of your work because of the smallness of your audience. Never devalue the bigness of your work because of the smallness of your, your audience. And when, when, I, when that thought came to me, the, first, the next thought was moms. Because moms, you have a big, big work that you're doing. Dads too, but there's, there's something you know, extra for, for moms who are caring for your children, raising them up. That is a big work. And you're doing that for a small audience, <laughs> a tiny audience, in fact, who oftentimes doesn't appreciate you and doesn't recognize the good that, that you're doing in, in their life, don't, don't devalue that. Those of you who are parents of special needs kids, you're, you're doing a big work, and it's a hard work at times. Don't, don't devalue that. All right, third observation. We gotta move. Okay, third observation. There's a great diversity in, in this list. So most of these names would be Gentile names, non-Jewish names. There's even the name of a Greek god here. That's amazing. Somebody's named after Hermes. I mean, so 
Um, so you've got mostly Gentiles here. And then you've got at least some, some Jewish people. He refers to some as his kinsmen. So like in verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen. So they're not necessarily like blood relatives, part of his family, but they're part of, of the Jewish people. That would be consistent with our study in the book where we've seen that this, this church is made up of primarily Gentiles, and then you have some Jews mixed in with that, and it's amazing how they are learning to live with each other with all the background, the differences of background that they're bringing together. Most of them are slaves or former slaves, so they would have, they would have grown up in a class that was serving others because people were named in that day according to their, their social class. And so many of these names would be recognizable as being slaves, but a few of them were also heads of families, as we noticed in verse 10, those who belong to the family of Aristobulus, those who belong to the family of Narcissus. So those heads of families are probably people of means, probably people who have higher social status. This diversity, this kind of diversity, ethnically, socially, um, economically, that's what the church is meant to be. We, we do not want to be a homogeneous group of people where everybody is basically, you know, has the same experience of life. We, we want to see, and I, I love that I get, to, I get to see maybe what some of you can't see, that there, we do have cultural diversity. I, I know that there's some economic diversity, social diversity. That's good because we learn in our differences how to love each other. Whatever our differences may be, our, our common bond is Christ. And that common bond should over uh, supersede and overwhelm any of the other differences that we deal with. That's what we learn as we live together. All right, fourth observation. Paul knows some of these people personally. Um, he has probably met some of them on his travels, but some of them he doesn't know. He's, he's not met yet. And, and he makes this clear attempt to say something personal about almost everybody in, in the list. And, and here's what I want to highlight with our, our big idea today that, that you take away. Paul ends this most thorough explanation of, of the gospel with a list of people because at the end of the day, he is about reaching people, not just teaching principles. So that's what we want to be about, is reaching people, not just teaching principles. I mean, Paul could have left, left it at that, at the end. He could, have, he could have stopped with all the beliefs and then the behavior, but he doesn't do that. He, he gets very personal. So that's what we want to do. As you and I are on our, the mission of bringing the good news to other people, let's, let's reach people and not just teach principles. Let's not just tell them facts. Let's not just tell them information. Facts and information and principles are important and they're vital, but we're telling them to people. We, we mustn't ever remember. This is something that I learned in seminary, something kind of got drilled into us. Don't teach the Bible to people. Teach people the Bible. So it's like, where, where is your focus? I mean, if my focus is I'm just trying to get information into somebody, I'm trying to convince somebody of something else, that's not, that's not what Paul demonstrates for us. He, he gives us a lot of good stuff, and then he says, I care about these people that I'm connecting to. The last observation is that um, there are 25 people mentioned here. 
And so we're going to briefly go through each one. No, that's not. No, some of you are like, look of terror. No, we're going to look at three really quickly. Um, nine of them are women. And actually, the list starts with women. So that, that's where we want to start with our, our highlights in verse 1. He says, he says something different to start the letter, if you notice this, than he did in the rest of the list. The, after, after Phoebe, everything is greet, 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 greet. He does something different with Phoebe, and I want you to notice that, and we'll talk about why here in a moment. Verse one, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So Phoebe is a patron and we notice that he talks about her differently because most scholars think it's pretty obvious from this, she is the one carrying the letter to Rome. So everybody else is, he's saying greet and, he, and they're already there. They're, they're part of that church in Rome. But for Phoebe, he says, I want you to welcome her and, and help her. If she has any needs you know, from her travels, then you take care of her. She was probably, it, to be a patron, to be a benefactor to other people, to help other people, she had to be a woman of means. And she's probably a businesswoman, probably going to Rome on business. And Paul says, hey, would you carry this letter for me? And this is monumental. I want, you to, I want you to realize how incredible this is. Paul is entrusting this letter. And Paul may not have had an idea at that time of how unbelievably influential this letter was going to be in the history of mankind. But he's entrusting this letter. He knew it was important. And he's entrusting it to a woman. And I highlight this because I think there, there are some who look at Christianity in general and they, they look at the Bible and they say, Christianity is all about repressing women. It's all about like elevating men and like pushing women down. And you just gotta, I mean, we gotta realize Paul could have chosen a man to carry this letter. He could have chosen Timothy because he gets mentioned next week. He could have chosen Tertius. We'll find out about Tertius next week. He was the scribe who wrote this all all down, but he didn't. He didn't choose a man, he chose a woman. Here's what this reminds me of, is the fact that Jesus chose women to be the first to be witnesses of his resurrection. And so this is, this is again, mon monumental, and I don't have time for it, but I'm gonna talk about it anyway, because Mary Magdalene is the, the first woman recorded, and, and there were other women with her who were going to the tomb on that, that morning when Jesus was resurrected. And, and here's what we need to know. Some of you have heard me say this before, but it's just so worth repeating, is this adds so much historical validity to the scriptures. Because if the gospel writers, if Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, as they're writing this narrative down, if they, if they were making it up, they would never have chosen a woman to be the person who's the first witness of the resurrection. And that is because in the first century, nobody gave any value to the witness of a woman, especially Jewish people did not give value. They couldn't testify in court. They, weren't, they were considered untrustworthy. And so if you're trying to convince people in the first century of this unbelievable story about someone who died and rose again, you don't entrust that to a woman because nobody's gonna believe it. But Jesus entrusted it to a woman. And Paul entrusted Romans 
to a woman, to Phoebe. So just a little note there about how the Bible actually elevates. And women today benefit because of the influence of Christianity in ways that, that they don't even recognize and appreciate because um, it's so ingrained in, in our culture and so ingrained here in the scripture. All right, got to move on. Second highlight is Prisca and Aquila. And many of us know them as Pris- Priscilla and Aquila. They're referred to in Luke's writings. Verse three, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life. And I had to go back and look up this phrase because I thought maybe it got translated as an idiom somehow into from, from Greek to English. It actually says that in, in the Greek. So this saying, this idea of risking your neck for someone goes back at least that far and probably further. We don't know the circumstances. We don't know the details of when they risked their necks for him, for Paul. But he says, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. And then he says, greet the church in their house. Priscilla and Aquila, well known to to Paul. In Acts 18, we see that they were expelled from Rome because Claudius, the emperor, expelled all the Jews from Rome. So they were gone for several years. Now they're clearly back and they're hosting this church in their home. We know that they accompanied Paul on missionary journeys. So he was tight with, with them and they were a tremendous help to them. The third and final highlight is in verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. This is a fascinating name because it's very possible that Rufus was the son of Simon who carried Jesus' cross because we see in Mark chapter 15 that they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Jesus' cross. There, there really wouldn't be any reason for Mark, and Mark was writing to Gentiles, and, and some even think he was writing to the church, writing his gospel for the church in Rome. There wouldn't be any other reason for Mark to mention Rufus other than that people knew who he was. And so it, we don't know for sure that he's the same guy, but very possible. All right, last thing here. Um, Paul ends his list with a call to express gratitude and and greetings for one another in a tangible way. So in verse 16, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All right, so going forward uh, as a church, we're gonna be instituting a moment in the service where we stop, no, we're not gonna do that. Okay, so in the Middle East, this is something that's still practiced um, because when we went to Lebanon last year, there, there were a few, not a lot, there were a few people who, as we would meet them, would do the, you know, kiss on one cheek and, and go back and forth that way. So it's still practiced in the Middle East, more so, much more so than here. It's pra- it is practiced in some churches. They have a moment for the, the kiss of peace. This, that practice, for most Westerners, that practice doesn't translate so well for us. I had a friend at our last church who grew up in a church that did practice this as part of their service, and he said that he and his teenage friends would practice the holy miss. So they would, they're like, yeah, yeah, not, I mean, they would, yeah, whatever. And so we, it's okay for us to to translate that into our culture and our day as a handshake or or a hug. Here's what I want to encourage you to do is to do that with some enthusiasm. Do that because the whole idea is greet, greet each other. 
Be, be happy to see people. Be happy to, I mean, realize the privilege that it is that we don't have to do this life alone. And so when you see somebody, I mean, be enthusiastic with, with, your, with your handshake. Be enthusiastic. Give them, you know, a little hug or a fist bump or however you want to do that. But it's, 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 encur- it's to encourage one another. All right. We got through the list. Um, some of you may have found that interesting. Others of you, I'm going to say, okay, wake up. It's almost over. All right. So here, here's, the, here's the so what, okay, at the end. You, first of all, you, you and I are on lists, probably lots of lists, that somebody skims over and we don't really matter to them that much at all. You need to know that your name on God's list, he, he cares for you personally, and he doesn't skim over your name. In, in particular, God has a book that he writes names in. It's called the Book of Life. And the book of life is for those who have embraced the truths that Paul has been laying out, the truth that every one of us is under condemnation because we cannot live up to the standard that God has set. But, but the good news is that justification is available to us. Being made right with God is possible because Jesus did live up perfectly to the standard that God set. And then he gave his life as a sacrifice in our place so that his blood could wash away our sins so that we could be right with God. And so that we could learn to live right with God, so that we could be sanctified. And so that we can look forward one day to glorification, to being glorified. And when we don't even have to deal with sin anymore, all of our bents and our desires and our our twisted junk that is there because of sin will be washed away. We get to look forward to that because of what Jesus did. And when we trust that, when you stop trying to get to God yourself and you just trust him, that, he, that Jesus has already done everything that's necessary, you stop trying and you, you trust. When you do that, he writes your name in a book and he doesn't skim that list. And one day he's going to review that list when we stand before him and he's going to say, come, come, be be part of my kingdom for 10,000 years and then forevermore. So if you've never never embraced that, if you've never trusted him and stopped trying, make make today your day. Don't don't leave without doing that. We're going to pray in just a moment. For, for those of us who have trusted Christ, and we know our, our name is in that book, then we have the opportunity to share that good news with others. And so what we're encouraged to do from Paul's example is that as we share that good news, don't, don't just share principles. Don't just teach principles. Reach people. People who have hopes and dreams and fears, just like you and me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We have so much to be grateful for as we enter into this Thanksgiving season. And Lord, we don't just give a general thanks that kind of flies out there into the air. We give a thanks to you who are the source of every blessing. And Father, I wanna pray for the person who's here this morning who's still trying 
in their own efforts to get to you. They're trying to please you. They're trying to stop doing things. They're trying to do things that they think you want them to do. Lord, I pray that you would release them from that, um, that treadmill Stop to stop trying and to start trusting you, that Jesus, what you have done, is actually a gift for, for us. So Lord, um, would you do your special work in their heart today to enable them to trust? And then Lord, I, I pray for those of us who have already trusted you, who are on that journey of, of becoming more like Jesus. Lord, may we be faithful to bring this good news to others. May we be faithful to be inviting people even to one winter night or to services in this coming month or to Christmas Eve and to introducing them to Christ, to, to uh, talk to a person about a person. <laughs> We're not teaching principles as much as we are introducing people to a person who can change their life. So Lord, would you empower us, send us to do that. And this week we pray in Jesus' name, amen.